Uh, welcome to the North Score podcast. I'm Michael Rand. Chris Hine, also here, the lead North Score writer for the Star Tribune and StarTribune.com. Chris, how you doing? Doing all right. Doing how, all right. How are we feeling about the convergence of all the seasons this is uh, a right now? Very busy month. You know, I thought when I when I first came here in January, it was busy with the, everybody Vikings. getting ready for the Super Bowl. Yeah, Vikings mania and. And this is this is just as busy right now. All, everybody's playing right now. Everybody's playing right now, and you, you factor in we didn't even used to have Major League Soccer at this time, but we, yeah. we do now. That's that's in the mix. I think, you know, I think if like Fox Sports North had a promotion, has a promotion like on their commercials now. Where it's like they're celebrating the convergence because like any given night, yeah, there's I two or three that. of these teams yeah, playing. Everybody's and multiple games a night. It seems. Yeah, it's crazy. Not to mention the Masters. Not to mention the Masters. Yeah, we are we are we're no shortage of things to do. It might it might slow down. Uh, in a couple of weeks, and for the Timberwolves, uh, the, the question now is, um, will it slow down in a matter of weeks or a matter of days? Yes. Um, as their playoff uh, playoff chances continue to uh, to take hits, uh, you know, that's not like they've played awfully, but uh, a lot of other teams in the West have played better, and then they dropped a big one Thursday night uh, to Denver. Um, Chris, you wrote the other day about the Timberwolves and distance tracking yes. in the in in the NBA, and that's kind of you know a, a natural thing for uh, for you know for uh, for what you're writing about a lot of data, mm-hmm. a lot of analytics, uh, which we talk about on this podcast, but also with your writing. Um, tell me a little bit more about what you know. First of all, what this player tracking in the NBA is all about, and what it tells us uh, about the Wolves and other players. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting. What I wanted to do was kind of come at uh, this this criticism that is levied against Tom Thibodeau, you know, ever since he was back in Chicago. And, you know, I came from Chicago, and so I'm well aware of the criticism that he rides his starters hard, he plays them too many minutes, they're mm-hmm. getting tired, they're getting worn out at the end of seasons and the end of games. Well, besides just looking at the minutes, I wanted to see, well, just how much are they actually running? And the NBA, you know, again, I mentioned this before, but their website is fantastic. Yeah, they really have so many great stats on there. But they have player tracking technology that shows you how far guys actually run during a game. The mileage, the feet, the, you know, they have, they break it down by offense and defense. How far are they running on offense and how far are they running on defense? It's really quite remarkable. You can, you know, if you're just a casual fan, you could just have a lot of fun, I think, just looking up some of that information. And what I found was it led me to, to a, I think, a conclusion that maybe not a lot of Wolves fans were maybe hoping for and <laughs> some of the commenters were not hoping for. Uh-huh. It's that, yes, you know, players under Tom Thibodeau do tend to, you know, have a lot of mileage on their on their shoes, uh, burn a lot of rubber. But they when they've also played away from Tom Thibodeau, they also pretty much run at the same rate. Yeah. You know, and, and that was one of the interesting things that I found. Like Jimmy Butler... For instance, in the two years that he uh, didn't play for Thibodeau in Chicago, right. he was number one in the league in miles run. Per, is that per game on a per I was, game basis? It was yeah. on a per game basis. Right. And the other year he was third. Um, I thought that was fascinating to yeah. me. So it's not just it's not necessarily just Tom Thibodeau. It's some of these guys. They just uh, they've run a lot in their careers, right. and, and they're really not putting on more mileage this year on a per right. game basis. 
most of them. Right. Carl Anthony Towns being the exception. Uh-huh. Um, then they have when they haven't played for Tom Thibodeau, and that's what that's kind of what I found fascinating about that research. One, one interesting thing I found about that subject is, I mean, there's there's definitely a correlation to minutes played. Like you know, if you're doing it on yes. a per game basis, these guys, you know, we talk about them playing more minutes than a lot of other starters do, and so you find I think what was it four of the Wolves players were in the top 40 yes, in, uh, in, in terms miles of per miles game. per game. We're talking about uh, two by a, a little over two, to, between two and two and a half miles per game. It's kind of, the, kind of the, yeah. the, 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 the sweet spot. Butler was number three overall mm-hmm. in, in the league. And again, this is per per you know, per game, so it doesn't really matter that he's been, been out. Um, mm-hmm. It's still, you know, still as, as accurate in, in that regard. But So I thought that was interesting. Like There's a definite correlation between, like, you know, if a guy was only playing 31 minutes versus 38, he'd be running less. Right, so, right. A- absolutely. And so I think yeah. if you extrapolate that out, the, the other interesting part about it to me was, like, as a team, the Wolves were kind of low on, on the running meter, right? Yes, were, were I they, believe they were, uh, as a team, I think they were 25th in the league in total so, miles run. Right. Uh, a little over, or just under 1,300 total miles, which was 25th in the league. Right, which is interesting to me, just because if you think of them having a lot of high-mile guys as a team, they're they're kind of a, a low-mile team. And another one of the low-mile teams was Houston, which Houston. was you think of as being kind of a, a run-and-gun team. What? What does the distance these guys are covering tell you about their style of play? Yeah, I, I think that's that's an interesting thing. I think with Jimmy Butler, you know, he's a guy that is always going to be guarding, uh, you know, the other team's best player. Yeah. And often the other team's best player is going to be coming off of screens. Right. He's going to have to chase people around screens. So if you're a defensive stopper, like somebody like Jimmy Butler sure. is, you're going to have a lot of high miles on your yeah. on your on your legs. Um, Paul George, you know, similar kind of player for the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's up there. Uh, he's fifth yep. in in miles per game. Um, you know, and, and I think it's I think it's interesting. Andrew Wiggins, you know, actually ran more uh, in his rookie year when, when it, was it wasn't his coach. Right. Than he is now. Maybe you could make the argument that maybe he was he's standing around a little too much on offense. I'm going to say, I mean, you, he's, you could, it's a different it's a different system. It's a I different think system, you know, I yeah. think that was that his rookie year would have been with Flip Saunders, and that was a yeah. an offense that emphasized a lot more kind of motion mm-hmm. and, and cutting, whereas the Thibodeau offense has a lot of you know, kind of screen and roll, isolate. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. it's a different style of of offense. So mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to to think of it. To think of it in that way, that they're, you know, but you're right. I think the the defensive piece of it too. If you're chasing a guy around, you know, mm-hmm. kind of nonstop, um, that that's and it, it's it's going to contribute. It, it is, yeah. and it's you know, you think about, um, you know, like be two two and a half miles doesn't sound like an extraordinary amount mm-hmm. to like if you're, you know, if, if someone's a jogger, like that doesn't right. sound like a lot of, a like lot a to lot, jog. Yeah. But you can when you when you add that up in terms of an NBA player, you see why these guys are so tired at the end of the game. Because, yeah. like, two, two and a half miles is not, like, a just, like, a, a leisurely 20-minute, 25-minute right. job. high intense this is high, two, yeah, I mean, two and a half like miles. Some of, yeah. I'm sure some of it's, like, you know, walking it or jogging it up the court. Court, But a lot of it's like, you know, what basically amounts to a sprint or, Mm -hmm. you know, a a hard, you know, hard movements one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I had to, if I had to sprint two miles in, you know, in three and a half hours or three, you know, three hours, I'd be, I'd be tired too. I'd be tired too, yeah. One of the things I found, uh, a stat that I found from this that was really interesting, LeBron James leads the NBA in minutes played. Yeah. 
but he's 31st in average distance per game. Huh. He he averages 2.39 miles, which is a quarter mile less per game than Jimmy Butler. I thought that was fascinating that here's yeah. a guy who, you know, for all intents and purposes, everybody sees him as an intense player, you know, the best player in the league. Um you know, plays a lot of minutes, but here he is. He's not even in the top thirty in terms of distance covered per game. I thought that was fascinating. That is interesting. Give you some insight into maybe how he's been able to stay healthy. Maybe how he's been able to produce so high. He's conserving energy, I guess. Maybe he's like reading all of the you know the this you know like those business help books that tell you to work smarter and not oh, yeah, harder. Exactly. I think LeBron is working smarter and not working harder these days. Smarter not harder, absolutely. Um, but yeah, it, it, it does. I think the biggest thing it tells me about the Wolves is that they have a style of play. I mean, it, every, everything about that mm-hmm. those stats tells you, mm-hmm. you know, what we know about them, right? It yeah. reinforces that their starters play a lot of minutes, therefore they're running around a lot. And as a team, their offense doesn't have a lot of motion to it, and they're it probably not, they're, they're not using as much energy on offense because, you know, there's guys standing in the corner or there's, you know, maybe one or two guys are really involved in a play and there's just not a lot of cutting and motion in that offense. And you would think maybe they're saving the energy for the defensive end of the floor, but mm-hmm. we know that that's uh, nah, uh, no. not really. And are they saving it for the playoffs? Really the case. Maybe we'll, they're saving it for the playoffs. We'll see, but, yeah, definitely the uh, Jeff Teague dribble around for uh, 21 seconds of the shot clock was not my favorite offense in the uh, Denver game in the fourth quarter. No, night. no, that was a. Uh, I could was... I could use some more motion. Is what I'm I is think, what I'm I saying. Think, I think I think you'll also use a little more boxing out. I could use uh, some boxing out. Some boxing yep. out might help. Yeah, maybe some boxing out miles <laughs> would uh, <laughs> put some some boxing out miles would look mm-hmm. good on the uh, on the on the register, mm-hmm. but. Uh, um, well, we're recording this as of about 2 p.m. Friday. Wolves have another big game um, tonight uh, against the Lakers. We'll get into some wild uh, subjects here in a minute and also uh, maybe delve into a little baseball. But uh, you know, a- as they kind of move towards the playoffs, there's a lot of interesting kind of pieces in play. We've been talking about Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, when, when will he come back? How, you, know, you and I are in, in the midst of not, not really a debate but a, a, a Sunday uh, a Sunday piece of, of who is the Wolves' most important uh, important player? How with Butler in Butler's absence, mm-hmm. um, ha, has that just to you uh, proven you know proven his worth that much more to you? And you know some of those clutch stats and whatnot, le- high leverage situations that you you wrote about earlier this year. I, I think yeah, I think not so much even in the clutch because his numbers in the clutch weren't great. Right, he just get, he, he just, he just, he just had the he's ball. A, he's a, a willing he's a willing he's participant. A willing participant in clutch time, but. You know, I think the uh, the area where it's so noticeable is in on the defensive end of the yeah. floor. Um, you know, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me uh, at the moment, but I mean, they've never they haven't the, been a great they haven't been a great defensive team on or off. But there's certainly right. the numbers bear out that there's certainly better when he's on the court. Yes, yes, absolutely. When he's on the court and when he's off the court, the defensive rating difference is significant to the point where when he's not on the floor they have one of if not the worst defense in the league uh, in terms of points per possession um when he's on the floor they're a little better (laughs) a little bit better they're they're middle of the pack right um um which you know is not great but it's also not the worst um so I, i i think to me that just magnifies 
what he's meant to this team. And, you know, when he got hurt, we, we said that, you know, this was a time for Andrew Wiggins to really, you know, prove his prove his worth, right. prove his value. He wasn't going to have Jimmy Butler, you know, taking shots away from him. Uh, he was going to be handed the defensive responsibilities. Right. And, and if you had to say how Andrew Wiggins has responded to this stretch, how would you kind of evaluate that? Ah, not great. <laughs> not great. Uh, I, I, you know, it, it's just it's just reality. He yeah. especially, I think there was, you know, the Denver game was uh, was kind of the microcosm of that, right? You, yep. you, it's, a, it's a game that's close, uh, a game that has, you know, so much meaning and, and potential impact. You know, if they win mm-hmm. that game Thursday night, they they essentially clinch. They, right, they don't right. officially clinch, but it's 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 a foregone conclusion that they're in. Um, and he has one of his worst games of the year. You know, when when opportunities are just sitting there, uh, he you know he has uh, what was it uh, nine points? He was a minus thirteen. I mean, just just some really dreadful yeah dreadful numbers. Um, and he's just he's he's just not been uh, not been a great uh, just hasn't been great overall this year. I found those but uh, the basketball reference has Butler on off numbers. I'm not sure if it's the same as what NBA.com would tell you, but Butler the Wolves uh, when Butler is on the court uh, defensive rating of 108.1 and off the court 115. Point eight. So yes. again, one hundred eight point one is not great by any stretch, but one fifteen point eight is awful. Yes. Interestingly enough, um, <laughs> they they have been a they've actually been a better uh, defensive team with Wiggins on the court too. Uh, mm-hmm. They were a, they are a better defensive team when Carl Anthony Towns is uh, on the court, but not by much. Uh, yeah. So you, you see some of the uh, the, the shrinking differences. Um, actually, a better defensive team when Jeff Teague is off the court. That's not necessarily That's a, not a surprise. Not a surprise but um, just 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 in general, um, you've seen the impact of uh, of Butler in his absence, and you've seen the impact of of just what Wiggins hasn't been able to do this year, mm-hmm. which is kind of take that next step forward. To me, there was one play in last night's game that, yeah, and they were having all sorts of trouble rebounding yeah. uh, in the fourth quarter. And, you know, I think it was the the Nuggets, the clinching possession that right. the Nuggets had, um, you know, Jokic, you know, yeah. reaches over Wiggins' yeah. uh, head and, and tips the ball in for, right. the, for the clinching bucket. And, to me, that was just a, kind of a microcosm of the way this team, and I think it's a big problem for them defensively. The way this team rebounds yeah. is is not very good. It's, it isn't good, and that's it's and and they're 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 overall they're an okay rebounding team, but they they're not very good on the defensive end of the floor. They're a great right. offensive rebounding team, right? But they're not a great defensive re- rebounding team. Their their right. defensive rebounding percentage, which uh, it measures how many rebounds they get um, compared to how many are available. Yeah, is is in the bottom third of the league. Um, and yeah, you're me, right. They're twenty fourth right now. Twenty fourth. Um, they're not a great defensive rebounding team. No, nope. and, and I know Towns, you know, is a double double machine. Right. So it it shows up in the stats like he's a good rebounder. Right. It shows up in the stats so he's a good rebounder and individually he may be, but as a team it's it's not good enough and and yeah. they could solve a lot of their issues on defense if they just end possessions yeah. when guys miss shots yeah. you keep giving teams second shots yeah third shots of course they're going to score and your defensive right. rate your defensive rating is going to suffer as a result yeah so they if they were to just 
box out a little better and, yeah. and stop relying on their athleticism to try and rebound, maybe that number improves and their their defense improves as a result. Yeah, that's that's been the biggest uh, disappointment to me this year with uh, with Gorgie Dang. I thought he'd be more of in an ideal world he's he's your third big and he's kind of a, a defensive. Mm-hmm. Stopper. They've actually been better defensively off when he's been off the court yeah. this year. Where whereas in previous years it seemed like that was a strength. So you know they they just need, they they absolutely need you know uh, they they've got very little rim protection. Um, you know they give up a lot of points in the paint. You just look up you know the nineteenth in allowing uh, points in the paint. They are twenty first in second chance points. You know they're. Mm-hmm. Uh, keep going. Twenty fifth in blocked shots. I mean, these are these are all things that they excelled at. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Thibodeau's Bulls excelled at. You know, when they had guys like Joe Kim Noah and, and other other guys in Chicago, oh, it just dang. hasn't yeah. it just hasn't translated here. And it makes you you know it, it honestly makes you wonder um, how much you know. I, I think a lot of it still you give Thibodeau credit for the system he had implemented in Chicago because it was also you know something he had in Boston. Mm-hmm. It was kind of you know, rev- thought of as somewhat revolutionary, but you know, personnel plays a lot, a big role in that, and it, he, it just hasn't, it hasn't translated here because either he hasn't been able to coach it, or he he has inherited and not gone out then and and replaced and gotten the kinds of players that can play the kind of defense he wants. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the the most disturbing thing you th- you'd think with bringing him in here, you would get the defensive right. intensity. And you're not. But, and you're not. They're, they're, absolute, they're exactly the same the, the defensive script, team this year. The script year. has been flipped on Tom Thibodeau yeah, team. they've actually been they a really good. Offensively. Like, yeah. They're fine offensively. Yeah, like people, uh, they don't look like they it. They don't look like it, but, but they're they effective. Do. Yeah, yeah. Their, their offensive rating um, is, I think, in the third, top five, right? Thought, yeah, wasn't it third? Might, might have gone down a little bit yeah. yesterday, but yeah, it's uh, it's still it's still good. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They've they've done head scratching. If done. Butler if Butler was playing the last few weeks, yeah. they're probably the the four seed yeah. right now. Right. That's, and we we may not be having this conversation. But that's also kind of a band aid, yeah. yeah. right? I mean, is, yeah. you you want to see more advancement than just especially hey, we got this guys. good player, especially from your bench, yeah. from your young guys. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, they've done a a much. Uh, Again, it hasn't been terrible. They're 8-9 and nine without Butler in this 17-game stretch going into Friday. We'll see if he plays against the Lakers. But I'd say the Wild have done a much better job adapting to injuries Absolutely. this year than, than the Wolves have mm-hmm. done. And they've had a variety of different ones to deal with. The most recent one, of course, being losing Ryan Suter for the year. And that's you know that's obviously going to, uh, to test them the most, uh, mm-hmm. more than anything else. But... Um, you wrote recently, kind of uh, about Suter's value and what, you know, what what they need to do in his absence to stay effective. What were some of the takeaways from from that piece? He's been having a a very good offensive season. Yeah, um, and he has posted really strong numbers when it comes to setting guys up for goals uh, yeah. during five on five play. I think yeah. it's I think it's very important. When you talk about hockey, to separate a guy's five-on-five numbers yeah, from absolutely. his overall numbers, because sometimes the overall numbers can get skewed by you know the power play production. Yeah, it's opportunity. I mean, some of that's it's just opportunity. opportunity. Some of it's opportunity. So, so what I did for a piece on Wednesday was I tried to just isolate Suter's five-on-five right. numbers, and he was having a great, I think, a, re- a career-high year when it came to assisting goals Yeah, in five-on-five. Uh, five. Five five. Um, obviously, in hockey, you have two assists on every play, but yeah. the uh, website... Or, can, or you can, at least. You yeah. can, at least, right. yes. 
Um, the the website naturalstattrick.com uh, helped uh, break it down for me right. um, by the primary assist and the secondary assist. And this year he had, I believe it was 18 primary assists. In, uh, in five on five, in I five think. or four, I'm sorry, 14 primary assists right. during five on five play, which was a career high for him. And it was mm-hmm. its tops among wild defensemen. Yeah. And I believe it only trailed uh, Granlund yeah. on the team. Yeah. So he was doing a, a really good job of setting up generating goals, offense, generating yeah. offense for them. And to me, that's I think defensively they might be okay without yeah. him, uh, yeah. given given how they play and the and the style in which they play. But I think it's offensively that they might miss him a little bit. So when you're compensating for that, then do you? Do you go to a Matt Dumba and say, you know, you have these offensive gifts, mm-hmm. go go be more like Ryan Suter, or do you say everybody kind of stay in your lane and let's double down on on defense and, and you know, nobody's gonna replace or replicate Ryan Suter? I think you I think you have to double down on what you do well. Okay. Um, I think if if especially if some of the younger, more experienced guys like a Nick Sealer Start to start to try and Nick Sealer freelancing out there. Yeah, next thing you know, Bruce. Next thing you know, Bruce Boudreaux just blows a gasket. <laughs> next thing you know, there goes you know in the playoffs, Patrick Line right. just streaking down the ice <laughs> right. uh, for a breakaway chance. Um, so I think you just have to play within yourselves and not try yeah. to do too much. Basically, it's just going to be guys because he Suter played so many minutes. It's going to be guys playing more minutes. So play more minutes, doing what you do, and you know don't try to get too aggressive offensively and leave yourself vulnerable in front of the net or leave yourself vulnerable to, you know, breakaway chances developing from right. one end to the other. Um, so to me, that's the that's the best thing they can do is, you know, just, just kind of hope for the best and hope to limit, you know, it looks like they're going to play Winnipeg. Um, yeah, they're going to play Winnipeg. They're going to play Winnipeg. Yeah. Limit Winnipeg's chances because yeah. it's going to be tough. Winnipeg's a yeah. tough matchup for yeah, them. Yeah, it is. They, I think they were 1-3 and three against Winnipeg this year. Yeah. It hasn't been hasn't been good. And, and we wrote about that a little bit last week, mm-hmm. too. Maybe we can touch on, just circle back on that a little bit. It's not really, you know, analytics so much, just, mm-hmm. just kind of how the NHL determines the playoffs. I mean, this could end up being... You know, Winnipeg could finish with the second most points in the West. Even in the conventional seeding, they'd be like a three seed right. in that in that uh, scenario. So the Wild could wind up as essentially the four seed mm-hmm. um, if if they if the points shake out how they could. And you know, they probably would be playing these games a little bit differently if they still yeah. had something to play had for them. And they, they didn't. They didn't. For, they, right. they, they got nothing to play for right now, so they didn't play Dubnik last night. Right. You know, things of that nature. They're going to rest some guys probably in this in these last uh, game or two. But, you know, you could have basically the third best team in the West playing the fourth best team in the West in, mm-hmm. you know, in what conventionally should be an easier matchup for the Wild. It is not. And it it's it, not. it's kind of it's kind of an interesting dynamic that you don't necessarily think about much. But the Wild, again, have, have since they changed the format, have not played a team outside of their division <laughs> in the playoffs. They which can't is, get out of the first or they, second round. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which, you know, which tells you, you know, something about, you know, how they've, how they've fared. But also it's just kind of like, man, again, uh, it, the system seems a little unfair uh, and, and it, it's going to bite them this year. I think, I, I think it is. Um, you know, they could be, uh, I haven't looked at the standings today, but they could be, you know, under another format. 
maybe playing for a f- more favorable matchup, definitely. Yeah, I mean, they... And maybe in the hunt for, for home ice. Uh, yeah, they would be. I mean, they would be... If they home f- ice in the first round. Home ice least, in the first yeah. round, yeah. If this was just like a straight mm-hmm. one through eight, um, mm-hmm. you know, right now uh, the Wild has 99 points. The Sharks have 100. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, again, the, the Wild kind of took the foot off the gas a little bit. Um, so it's, it's hard to, you know, kind of straight up compare that. But, yeah, they right now basically they would be kind of playing for that 4-5 matchup and would they have home ice in, in that first round against the Sharks where instead – you know they're gonna be. Let's say the Jets have 112 points. I mean they are they are they are they are legitimately the second best team in the West, yes. and arguably I think they're. I mean what they're nine and one in their last ten. I mean they're 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 uh, playing oh, oh, like. By the way, should Minnesota get by Winnipeg, they got to play Nashville. Right. Basically, they yeah. they're staring at the two. <laughs> actually, the in in the whole NHL, there's those are the two teams with the most points in the entire NHL right now. Yeah. 115 and 112. Mm-hmm. I mean that's. Again, you know, the system is what it is, and I'm sure, you know, it's kind of maybe benefited the Wild uh, at, at times uh, when when they've they've gotten certain matchups that, that you know, they've, they've had draws that were more favorable when they were, you know, knocked off Colorado or, or St. Louis. Those seemed mm-hmm. like vulnerable teams those years, but it, it's going to come back to, uh, to, to this, divi- this div- emphasis on the divisions is really not going not gonna to pay off for them this year. It's just so screwy. It is, I, it's I, I weird. Don't like it. I don't get it. I, I've never, I didn't like it when it first started. Like the first year maybe it was like, oh, this is interesting. It's kind of cool. But as, it, as it's gone on and, and it's what's fourth year now for this? Or I think it's the year? fifth year fifth of it. Year? Yeah, it's the fifth year of it. I don't, I don't like it. No, I don't like it either. And <laughs> I don't think the Wild fans are going to like it very much either because, you know, it's mm-hmm. – those two teams are, are no are no picnic. Uh, getting past the Jets will be you know a, a daunting task in and of itself. And then you're right if if assuming the Predators uh, are able to handle the handle their own business and beat uh, which looks like either Colorado or St. Louis uh, in in that opening round, um, the, the Wild would would get Nashville in the in round two. Although Nashville's been frankly been a, a more favorable matchup for them this they year. They have their, their know, style I, of of late. Um, you know, watching those Predators uh, Wild matchups. Yeah, I thought the the Wild did a pretty good job uh, against the against the, yeah, the, the Predators. The Jets just have they're physical, and you know Winnipeg's a tough place to play. It's it's going to be. Yeah, yeah, physical good, or fast, good, yeah, they get score. Yeah, good, <laughs> good, good luck. Uh, good luck with that, especially as we said, uh, with you know trying to compensate, you know, not just for an unfavorable matchup, but to compensate for the loss of Ryan Suter. And oh, by the way, Jared Spurgeon's not back yet. Nope. Um, so it looks like he's on track. He is on track, and that'll but, help. If he, but the thing is, you know, I covered the Blackhawks for years, uh, yeah, three years before I came here, and. Last year, there was a similar situation with the Blackhawks with center Artem Anisimov. Right. Um, he had a high ankle sprain. I want to say it was like maybe early March that he, okay. that he sprained his ankle. Yeah. Um, and they gave him a timetable of five weeks. And, oh, look at that. Magically, the timetable lines sure. up with the start of the playoffs. Right. He was not the same no. player when he got back. He right. was there on the ice playing. Right. But he was clearly bothered by it. Yeah. So, so, you know, Spurgeon looks like he's going to be back. But, this, but is, this is like a partially was, torn hamstring, yeah, right? That, does, that hamstring, doesn't sound like doesn't a sound great. It's not like a you know, it's not like a fracture or a, mm-hmm. a, an MCL. I don't know any any you know a, a kind of more defined like okay, it healed, you're yes, good yeah. kind of injury. It's it's this, a this sounds could linger brutal could linger. So we'll we'll see uh, um, we'll we'll see about that. Uh, overlap uh, being what it is, we got to talk Twins a little bit here mm-hmm. at the end. You had. 
What was it you wanted to bring up, uh, twins-wise or fangraph-wise? Uh, I read a thing on fangraphs from uh, Jeff Sullivan the other day. Okay. And I think it just kind of confirms where where baseball is headed. If you're a, if you're an advanced stat nerd, and and that is that uh, the fly ball is is has become king of, yeah. of baseball, um, and and players. Uh, Tom Verducci recently had a, a long article in Sports Illustrated about this as well. Players just revamping their swings yeah. to change their launch angle and more uppercuts to meet the ball as it's coming in instead of trying to hit down on the ball, which is the way you're, you've always been told to hit since Little League. You know, right. Swing down through the ball. Right. And now guys are, nope, let's, uh, let's swing up through the ball instead. So the more fly balls there are, you know, the, you know, the better it is for hitters anymore because, yeah. you know, fly balls tend to result in more hits. Um, or at I least more, more, uh, more home runs. Yeah, more, and more significant hits, you know, extra more, base hits. More significant hits, extra base hits as well. Right. So sl- you slug higher. Right. Uh, Sullivan ran some numbers, um, and he, he checked out the fly ball rate uh, versus the... Uh, the uh, the ground ball rate and yeah. you know it was it was it was fascinating. I think uh, I think there's thirteen. Uh, I forget. Or aver- oh, I'm sorry. Average launch angle. That was yeah. the statistic, and it was ten point one degrees in 2015. Okay. Ten point eight in 2016. Eleven point one in 2017. And now keep in mind we're only about a week into the yeah. you know. Uh, MLB right. season, but it's still a lot of games and a lot of yeah. batted ball events. Thirteen point three percent on the launching batted ball so, events. Right, right, right. Oh, batted exactly. ball events. Right. That's the, that's the term for it. Yeah. Um, so an increase of two percent. That's amazing. That's, a, that's significant. That's year. very significant. Guys are uppercutting their swing. Yeah. Uh, and ridiculously. And pitchers are try- trying to counteract this by throwing higher in the zone. Yes. Essentially, like make let's make mm-hmm. uh, make it so that when you Try to launch one. You got to start higher and pop up more. Start higher, or, or yeah, or get under the ball more. Right. Uh, you know, if you're trying to in, you know, increase launch angle, the pitchers want you to increase it. Either you're going to miss the ball, or you're right. going to just pop it straight up. And, and you've seen this philosophical change even with the Twins. It, mm-hmm. It's evolved. There, right now, they have 12 home runs through six games. Mm-hmm. Uh, all their runs in their home opener came on home runs. The 12 home runs in six games. 12 is tied for second most in. The majors right now, again, small small sample being what it mm-hmm. is. Uh, their slugging is fourth right now in in the majors, even though you know the the batting average payoff isn't isn't there. They're they're trading you know they're they're thirteenth in batting average, so they're trading you know a lot of these you know significant batted batted ball events. <laughs> uh, they going for going for more of these extra base hits because you know if you if you connect it, it's a run. It is, and you know. I, it's amazing to to see the change uh, in the yeah. last few years, and and what Statcast has has brought about. Uh, yeah. In, you know, it's fascinating to read uh, that that Verducci piece in Sports yeah. Illustrated because it sounds simple, right? It's right. like you just take a hitter and you just you know fix the launch angle and right. You know, voila, you have a Logan 30, Morrison, right? Exactly. You have a Logan Morrison. You have a thirty right. home run hitter, right? Where you didn't have one before, but. It's very, it's hard to do that. Yeah. It's still, it still takes a lot of effort and a lot of discipline, and you could really mess with somebody's swing if right. it goes wrong. So you have to be very careful about just saying, oh, yeah, everybody should do this. 
I wasn't paying close enough attention last season, obviously, mm-hmm. to ask this question, but I did notice on opening day at Target Field Thursday that all of that StatCast data is on the scoreboard now mm-hmm. at Target Field. All the launch angle is up there. Um, you know, Exit velocity is, is shown on the scoreboard now. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if they did that last year or not, but it's interesting that that, that is so prevalent now that they're like, hey, people want to know this. Let's put it up there for everybody to see. Right, exactly. And you just see it on you see it on Twitter, too. And, yeah. you know, more and more, uh, you know, baseball writers incorporate this stuff into their writing. Right. Like this stuff, it's fascinating and it's it new is. and it's exciting and it's a, just a different way to look at, yeah. at a sport that, you know, has had a very traditional set of statistics. But now, now that we have this data readily right. available to us, uh, I think people are really interested in, in seeing what what's uh, what's at their fingertips. I do uh, I do want to mention that Mr. Launch Angle Logan Morrison does not have any of those right, twelve home not. runs yet. Yes, uh, just finally got his first hit or RBI or both mm-hmm. the other day. Yeah. Uh, so, we'll, we'll, I'm, I'm sure he'll uh, I'm sure he'll launch a few uh, into the target field. Uh, Seats uh, as soon as it warms up past freezing. Yep. Um, yeah. Well, uh, that's that's probably the most impressive part of the Twins' twelve home runs. Is this is the time of year where it's it's, it's theoretically cold. you know the the air is is it, balls start to fly in the summer and they're mm-hmm. already hitting two a game. So yep. we'll, we'll see where it takes them. On a pace for three twenty four right now. That oh would, sure, yeah. I'm sure they'll get yeah. there. I'm sure they'll get there. <laughs> Um, well, good stuff, uh, Chris, as always. Um, thanks for joining us here on uh, the North Score podcast. Uh, you, any plugs, anything coming up uh, in print or uh, uh, digitally? Yeah, we're working on, working on a few things for next week. Um, you know, I hope to have this story about uh, a unique training method that some guys in the wild uh, go through. Okay. Um, uh, Zach Parise and Matt Collin and Nate Prosser, and I hope to have that ready. Uh, okay. By the time uh, the playoffs come back here, so uh, makes sense. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if I can pull that together. Stay tuned. All right, good <laughs> teaser, good teaser. All right, all right, guys. Until next time, thank you. We'll see you later.